Welcome to the Yes Collective podcast. If you're hearing this, then you are not on our private members-only podcast feed where we have our public episodes like this one, but tons more amazing mental wellness content, including our therapist circles, on-the-go articles, parent-focused meditations, and special episodes you won't want to miss. So head on over to yescollective.co, become a supporting member, and we'll get you your own private podcast feed today. What a joy it was to kick off our theme this month around working mom's mental wellness with Aaron Ehrenberg. Aaron is CEO and founder of Totem Women, a mom's advocate, a founding mother at the Chamber of Mothers, IP attorney, serial entrepreneur, and mom of three. With Totem Women, Aaron helps moms in the workplace through products, community events, and research-backed resources. And with Chamber of Mothers, Aaron is a leader in the fight for federal paid leave and policies that support mothers. Aaron and her family live in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, not too far from us here in Savannah, Georgia. We talked about the real struggles working moms face, the lack of support at work and at all levels of government, how the world isn't ready to hear the real challenges working moms face, but how Aaron is speaking out anyway, and a whole lot more. If you care about working moms wellness, then you're going to love this episode. Without further ado, here's the amazing, mission-focused, values-driven Aaron Ehrenberg. Welcome to the Yes Collective podcast, and we are so excited to have my new friend. I'm just really thrilled about this conversation, Erin Ehrenberg on the podcast for working, I think what we're going to call Working Mothers Mental Health and Wellness Month. And Erin, you are not only an expert in all of this, uh, you are, you've been there yourself. And so Justin is going to uh, intro a bit of your background. Well, yeah. So Aaron, you're the perfect mom to have on. You're the CEO and founder of Totem Women, a high-powered attorney, a serial entrepreneur, and most importantly, you're a working mom. So we want to start off just by hearing a little bit. Can we mention Chamber of Mothers too? Chamber of Mothers. And and so we're going to get a chance to talk about all of these amazing things, but we wanted to start off by hearing a little bit about your story. And so the first place that I wanted to start, we we can can, uh, circle back, of course, is when did you realize that you wanted to go into law or become a serial entrepreneur? Or and become a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. I love that. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. These are all my favorite topics, and I love being with both of you, uh, two new friends. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's funny the way my career, it's the trajectory is kind of interesting to me when I look at it. But, um, you know, growing up, my dad's a lawyer. My dad's best friend's a lawyer. We always vacationed with them. Like the idea of the law was always around me. I remember one family vacation, we were all in the minivan and my dad and his best friend were listening to like bar prep like on the way, <laughs> you know, a 10 hour drive. Yeah. So yeah. the law was and always the kids in, on my didn't, mind. Didn't revolt oh. 
they, they were like, you know, turn this off. What? That's a whole other thing. Like, I think about parenting these days, and we're so connected and dialed into our kids' needs. My parents like didn't care. It was like, you get one sip of orange juice an hour because right. we don't want you to pee, and you're going to listen to bar prep and like, sit right. back there and be quiet. And you're going to like think, it. Totally. Oh, my God. My parents gave me trauma mean. I mean, we were out for 14 oh hours. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. So, yeah, the law was always there. And then I don't know if you all did this, but I, in high school, even we had to take this test called the ASVAB. It was like the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude yes. Battery. No clue why I remember that acronym. Um, but it was just basically like, you shall be a lawyer. And it's funny because I didn't, I kind of rejected that. I had this feeling of, you know, my dad's a lawyer, my mom's a teacher, and it's this big wide world. Why would I pick the two, prof- any, either of the two professions that I've been sort of steeped in my whole life. And I grew up traveling in a, a lot with my mom, which is a whole other really cool story. But I just saw the world as a really big place. But um, I did, I, I got it in my mind that I wanted to go to Duke, like really young. I just got really excited about that school and had a fantastic experience there. And again, was the theme of you know, I did comparative area studies, which is like international relations meets anthropology and humanitarianism and activism. And I loved it. I had such a great experience there. And so I did see this notion of, you know, I am essentially an advocate. Everything that I do, the whole way I live, there's this sense of advocacy and yearning for justice and wanting to take everything I know and have experienced and help make people's lives better in even small ways. And so I did feel like, oh, maybe I will end up going to law school, (laughs) despite being told that by too many people and wanting to rebel against it. And but I actually my first job was in tech. I went and I worked at Trilogy Software, which was hiring a bunch. I graduated in 2000. I lived in Austin. I loved it. But I worked after that at a law firm, ended up going to law school. Um, I even knew in law school, you know, I I want to go into a big firm because, you know, that's where I'll make money right off the bat to help pay off these, you know, loans that I have, but I don't want to stay in a law firm. And as soon as I got into a big firm, I was doing intellectual property law and I loved intellectual property, but I did not I was sort of allergic to the container of a law firm. Just billing mm. hours and this idea that the more time you spend on a client's matter, the more money you're going to make. That seems so it's, it's a conflict of interest, right? Like if you yeah. come to me with a problem, I want to help you as efficiently as, as possible, especially if you're billing my time. That yeah. didn't sit right with me. And I had partners be like, you need to get your, your head around this. Like we want to build lots of hours. That's <laughs> this how we is make how money. it like, works, no, I got to like, get them the answer as soon as possible and free them of the problem they've come to me with. And so... <laughs> I learned there at a law firm. I was at a big law firm for honestly, you all, I was there nine months and I Mm. wrote up and I was only 26 years old and I wrote up my letter of resignation and took it to my partner. And I just said, I, this is not for me. And I, without a net left that law firm and this really nice salary and really great support system. And I just started taking on music law clients at the time I was living in Nashville. I started out in North Carolina. Then I was in Nashville So um, I was taking on clients in a really entrepreneurial way. You know, I had one client that I worked with about, you know, 40, 50 hours a week. They're called CSAC. They're a performing rights organization that um, acquires the catalogs of songwriters and publishers and then licenses them out to music users. And that through that, I learned 
a couple things. Number one, I love autonomy. So I like mm-hmm. that I am working for myself and I might be working with this one client all the time. But at the end of the day, I'm giving them, I, I'm an independent contractor. I love that independence. And I really liked working with creative people. And so just skipping ahead, I ended up in Los Angeles. My boss actually at CSAC said, there's this really cool charitable foundation of the Academy of Country Music of all things. And they're in Los Angeles and they really need to, they need somebody to come into the foundation and help them make it exciting. They need, uh, you know, partnerships with talent and they just need to kind of create a brand. So I moved to LA. I ran that foundation. It was my favorite job I've ever had. And again, I learned some things about myself. I learned that I really love putting together partnerships. I really love getting creative and thinking about how I can pull people together and, you know, around a common interest and get them all excited about doing good. And we had these amazing programs. We put together a music camp for people with a specific intellectual challenge called Williams syndrome. Um, And we did that in conjunction with Vanderbilt. And so I loved that job. However, I then got courted away by tech again and started, I was the, one of the very first employees at Indiegogo, the crowdfunding company, um, and helped them build. So there I was, and I was always doing law. So as, um, the executive director of a nonprofit, I was still working on contracts and deals and of course compliance Mm -hmm. for the nonprofit. And then when I worked at Indiegogo, it was only five of us at the time. And they said, we just need partnerships. Like you come in here and build partnerships and then also paper the deal. So um, basically there was always this theme of, I want to be helpful. I want to build something. I want the autonomy to be creative and to, to, to think differently about what the problem is and how we tackle it and to help people. I want there to be some positive social outcome from what I'm doing. So all of that was going on. And then I had our first baby in 2012. And I think like a lot of women, I was absolutely shocked Mm. by the lack of support for me as a woman Mm. when I became a mother. I mean, there was so much attention and support on me as a pregnant woman. And, you know, with my partner too, and we lived in LA at the time. And there was also a lot of attention even on how you give birth, right? I mean, it's unmedicated Uh or medicated or Uh C-section or this or this and everybody pick a lane. And so I was super informed about that. I felt very supported and then had the baby and things were happening to my body, to my mind, to my relationships, to my ambition, my, my career drive. Mm -hmm. It was not what I expected. And I'll just speak on that for a second because I know we're talking about working motherhood. I, you know, now run a platform that reaches, you know, around 60,000 women a week, mothers, modern mothers. And no two women have the same experience of motherhood, but the theme is we are all discombobulated by it, right? Mm -hmm. And so I have talked to mothers who are extremely career driven and they have their baby and they really want to take a pause and they want to lean all the way out. And in 2012, lean in was the big book. It was in the zeitgeist. And, and you know what I've learned since is lean in was not written for me. Lean in is not Mm. written for a a mother who's in her thirties. It's written for a young woman who's about to choose her partner. Um, but I felt, and I know a lot of mothers still feel to this day, that the the big idea there was 
do not lean out, lean all the way into your ambition, lean all the way into your career, or you are doing a disservice to all the work that feminism has done for you to this point. That's how I took it. That's how a lot of women took it. There's some weight to that. Heavy. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Really heavy. And so I really surprised myself because I wasn't the kind of little girl that played with baby dolls. I didn't babysit growing Mm -hmm. up. I didn't have this timeline around like when I turn 30 X, I need to have it. Not at all. I I, I was surprised with how quickly I became pregnant had our first baby and was shocked at how much I love being a mother. I, I really, it opened up this softer, more patient, more present side of me that I hadn't encountered in a very long time because Mm. I was so used to just being so driven and working so hard for whatever I wanted. And suddenly by slowing down and being present and being soft and patient, I was being the very best mother I possibly could for my baby. And not only did I love that for him and did I love seeing the result of that for George, our first baby, but I enjoyed myself. I liked myself more. I felt really happy, but unlike, you know, a a mother that faces postpartum depression and goes through something a little different, I also couldn't square that with everything I knew of myself. And frankly, I don't think my husband really could wrap his head around what I was saying. Like when I would say, I actually don't want to go back to work. I Mm -hmm. I really want to take a beat and be with the baby. who's just sort of like, okay, like, I think he thought (laughs) some time would pass and I would just like, that would go away. And so I did go back to work at three months postpartum. um, And I was really not ready. And I had a really hard time. And so anyway, that is when the seed was really planted for me that I wanted, I knew I was not alone in this experience of discombobulation and lack of support because once I started talking about it to other mothers, they would open up. And, and that's what I think is so interesting is that we tend to keep these things hidden and we can be complicit and not showing or talking about the experience that we're having, which in turn not only hurts ourselves, but hurts other women because they're afraid to show up in what they're really feeling. And so I just decided to sort of go first. I, you know, if it was baby group and we were all sitting in a circle and everybody's saying like, Oh, it's actually fine. I would say like, I'm not fine. I really don't want to go back to work. Mm. And I cry about it every day. And I don't know what that means. Um, and then it unlocked this whole conversation. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, that, that is where the seed was planted for me. I didn't know that it was going to be called totem and I didn't start it right away, but I knew that sort of this thread of advocacy and wanting to take an experience that I had and look around and see if that was a redundant experience that I could help somebody else have an improved experience yes, from what yeah. I had. Um, I wanted to do something about that. And so eventually in 2017, I started totem. It's beautiful, Aaron. Like the, um, I, I love, love, love hearing about this unfolding for you and the courage you, you had to speak to your experience and to share your experience. I mean, I remember being there too with both of our kids mm-hmm. going back at three months, super, super, super struggling with it mm-hmm. and, and having to, and, mm-hmm. you know, not having mm-hmm. a choice, just having to do it mm-hmm. and slipping into relativism 
you know, mm-hmm. and and um, pushing my experience down because I was like, well, at least I had three months as if right. that's like right. know, what we're right. working for. You know, at least I mean, at least I didn't have to go back at three weeks, two mm-hmm. weeks, whatever it might be that like I have friends in the service industry and, you know, other other industries, at least the state of California you know, through, through disability and whatever, yes, you know, yes. I was provided with three paid months. Oh my God. You know, you know, I am so lucky. I am so fortunate. Who am I? You know, that narrative, who am I, who are you, your privilege, who are you to complain? Yeah, right. Yeah. And that I think for so many of us keeps us from, in addition to often going back to a workplace where you come in feeling like I, I, I don't fit in here. I don't, belong and I'm not welcomed here because I'm a pro you know I feel like I might be a problem so I have to like pretend that not only is everything normal quote unquote but I'm better than I was before you know I I can do more yeah it's you know you're like bleeding you know profusely you know at that point because you're not breastfeeding if if you if you're able to do that you're not breastfeeding the same way and all that stuff I mean it's just catastrophic it really is and it's You know, I read recently that the postpartum hormone dump is the biggest and most sudden chemical adjustment than any human being goes through at any point in their lives. Full stop. Yeah. And the fact that we don't support that. I mean, it's not even it deserves support. I think when people hear the word deserve, it's sort of like, go get a massage. You deserve it. Or like, yeah, right. right. Because you're worth it. It's like it's required. And right. We as a society aren't meeting our the requirements mm. for families. And and of course there's suffering. And you know, one of the things I was hearing you saying is sort of that idea of comparative suffering or yes. the suffering Olympics. And yes. you know, it's funny. I have a dear friend, you know, as you and I have bonded about, we have a son with a medical complexity, a lifelong medical complexity that requires ongoing attention from my husband and me, um, and any caregiver. Uh, and I have a really good friend who's in a similar situation with twins. And, you know, she has said to me this whole thing about the suffering Olympics. It's like suffering is suffering. Suffering is a human emotion that requires acknowledgement and validation, but also just don't be a jerk. Like if you're talking to somebody and you know that they have a child who's in and out of the hospital every week and you're frustrated because you didn't get to yoga on time this morning, maybe that person isn't your audience. Like that's like right. not the person to vent to. It doesn't right. mean that you're like, you know, the fact that you feel so frustrated about not getting to yoga on time doesn't deserve you doing a check-in with yourself because that might be about a whole slew of other things happening. It might be that you're totally. not sleeping, you're drained, you're depleted, yep. you have no time yep. for yourself. And so as human beings, this whole comparative suffering thing to me is fascinating. And where I've really landed on it is when we are suffering, suffering is suffering. And we all deserve to check in with ourselves and say, wow, I'm experiencing suffering. What do I, why, what is this about? And how can I express it and get some support at the same time? I think it's important to be aware of the needs of others. And as we call people into our circle and as we're communicating with other people, just have sensitivity to one mm. another. But it's, you know, I, I, I feel sorry <clears throat> and sad and I wish I could have hugged that person that you were going back to work because everything you were going through 
deserves acknowledgement. And of course, if you're talking to somebody Absolutely. who's working on the floor at Amazon and, you know, we got stories yep. at Totem about we, we source stories around four weeks paid leave, which I know we're going to go there around paid leave. Mothers in our community were furious when the paid leave policy that almost passed this year mm-hmm. was cut from 12 weeks to four weeks. It's now zero weeks, but we were ticked off at four and we were getting stories from women saying, I work in a fulfillment center. I was bleeding down my legs, standing all day. Milk yep. is dripping through my yep. blouse. Yep. And that's awful. It's also awful yep. that, you know, I worked at a tech company and I was the first parent and I couldn't think of word. I, I always joke, I couldn't think of the word hat when I went back to work. I was talking to my CEO, literally couldn't think of the word the hat. That's how sleep deprived I was. There was nowhere to pump. I would pump in public bathrooms. Totally. I was super yes. embarrassed. You know, I had a yes. colleague who made misogynistic sexist remarks all day, every day. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's all, it's all hard. But I think being able to say, I'm suffering. I need to talk about this and I need to talk about it in a psychologically safe space yeah. where yes. I can feel yes. seen and heard and not judged is, is important for all of us. I, you you absolutely nailed it. I mean, I think this is like a, such a beautiful conversation because what I'm hearing in this, too, is that in these conversations, we're so often pulled into that kind of scarcity mindset of are we talking about 12 weeks or four well this experience versus that experience is like no we're talking about like building a society where where mothers are held and cared Mm -hmm. for and supported Mm -hmm. not about these these weeks we're talking about like like one day like can it be a year can it be whatever it is is Mm -hmm. needed you know, mm-hmm. like I want to see a society where we are able to do some sort of like reverse retirement. Oh, I love that. I'll I'll commit to whatever five more years in social security. Give me my mm. five now. You know what I, I mean? That. I so, so smart. identify with you in the space of not realizing and Justin knows as well. Like we met in college and we're like, you know, it's, Kids, I don't know. We didn't think we we're going to, I don't, you know, like we're doing our thing. We have these <laughs> career ideas, school, yeah. all of that. Becoming a mother, I was just like, I, you know, this. I was not like, I wouldn't even like, I've never asked anyone to hold their baby. Like, I did no. not, you know, no. Um, didn't think I was maternal. No. Right. Same. And then yeah, have that this baby. Is a very similar. Have that story, baby. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I want to stay home. Oh. Yeah. I want to, I don't want to not work, mm-hmm. and I was but, I, but I want to stay home. And yeah. I was like, like, and yeah, you're in grad school. Like we couldn't yeah. do it, but, it, but what I think really, really gets to me from this conversation too, I'm thinking, you know, Brene Brown, I'm thinking of inner critic narratives. I'm yeah. thinking about what is imbued in us as women, ways that we tear ourselves down and tear each other down. And that mm-hmm. voice that was like, you don't deserve that. Mm-hmm. Who do you think you are? And that gets into the comparative suffering that gets into, you know, something that I've also been really passionate about that I think ties fully into this and that's grief. And mm-hmm. we grieve so much, you know, we mm-hmm. are like from, from the very, very first moments, you know, of this journey, not to mention our whole lives before becoming mothers, but motherhood is a journey through grief. It absolutely is many, many layers and many, many kinds. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and the fact that we have to suit up, Mm -hmm. you know, and try to hold every single thing together to come into these workplaces that desperately need us. Mm -hmm. Mm 
mm-hmm. without being held, without mm-hmm. being seen, cared for, supported, all of that. Like, it's just, that's wrong. And it is. and that's what I hear that you are stepping up to make major, major, major change in doing this. Absolutely. It's incredible. Well, thank you. I can't, <laughs> I talked to an old college friend the other day. She's uh, somebody that I was doing totally separate work for. I, I still have an IP practice that's based in Savannah, actually. Um, and we were just talking about IP work and she was like, yeah, so I have an IP project for you. It's separate from your personal crusade. And I was like, I love that. <laughs> I love that totem and chamber of mothers are my personal, personal crusade. crusade. I'm going like, <laughs> to yes. step into that. Yes. yes. I'll lead, lead so, into that, right? Yes. That yes, is exactly. Exactly. But no, and I love that you use the the word grief. It's so true. Like a, a friend had said to me, and I, I know she got it from a book, but grief is love with nowhere to go. Yeah. And when you think yeah. of that in relation to new motherhood, you know, you're thinking about you're grieving your freedom. You're grieving the relationship that you had with your spouse that changed overnight because you suddenly are like dual household managers and caregiving yeah. managers with zero experience, either one of you. Um, and that that idea of teamwork suddenly it has so much strain and stress on it. You're grieving your body. I mean, my, oh my goodness. God. And I'm not talking about how you look. I'm talking, yeah. you know, I tell people all the time and you can edit this out of its TMI, but I, there's nothing to me that says we don't support new moms like this. I had had this unmedicated labor. I was felt like such a warrior. It was everything I wanted it to be. George crawled from my belly up to my breast himself and nursed. It was so idyllic. However, I you know was lying in bed in the hospital after I had delivered him, and my doctor couldn't even make rounds. She said, "Like I can't be there. You're gonna have to call me." It's not really her fault. It's like that's a whole other thing. The medical yeah. profession, how yeah. overtaxed they are. So she called me and I said, you know, I, there's something going on in my pelvis that really hurts. It does, it's not anything. It's not like the whole ring of fire and it's not, not anything I've heard people describe. There's something going on because I feel like I can't get up. And she said, it's okay. You won't be able to run in the next coming weeks. You can do some yoga. Like, well, okay. <laughs> Non-responsive. Yeah. Not yep. the I just said I can't get up, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so I felt like talk, talk about the whole Brene Brown thing. Like, you know, that if you don't express shame, it just, it grows and grows. And so yeah. I had sort of, I had expressed a need and instead of being received, I was completely dismissed. And this expectation that like, you know what that said to me? Oh, I should be able to run soon. Like I can't get right. Something's wrong with me. I did it wrong. That's what I said. I did it wrong. All that work. And I did it wrong. And so I was at home. I still really couldn't get up off my stomach. I would like sideline nurse my baby. And I was desperate to do something like to get up and cook a meal or whatever. Okay. So I said to my mom, thankfully, my mom was at the house. My mom sort of functioned as a postpartum doula, which I felt so grateful for. She was there at the house for like a month postpartum. And I said, mom, I really need you to go down and look at my vagina. And she was like, happy to. (laughs) So she went down (laughs) and she said, she's so sweet. She said, it's beautiful, but there is a massive bruise on your perineum, like massive, really intense bruise. And you have not gone to the bathroom since you left the hospital. So I think you're constipated. You have this massive bruise. And and my husband, who's a veterinarian, 
was there and he said, if you were a cat, I would just go to CVS and get you an enema. And I was like, get thee to CVS. Well, he gets back <laughs> and I'm telling you three minutes later, I was the hap- I was so, I was so happy and I was having the postpartum experience <laughs> yeah. that yes. I should. And yes. so lame that like, you know, we treat animals better than we treat humans. And I, you know, I was just so lucky and blessed to have my mom because sadly we don't have villages and allo parenting anymore. And, you know, I actually, I didn't have my mom and my second and third births and I really felt lonely and I really suffered. And, and it's, you know, all of these things happen and we, they're really not supported. And I will say, you know, I launched, I had this experience in 2012. I launched Totem in 2017 and since then, there have been a lot more motherhood platforms and even mother- motherhood products. Like there's that company Bodily, who is really edgy about postpartum support, and they have products. Frida Baby, you know, came so out so much with more, that. So, so much, much more than more. there was. Yeah, but I will say, you know, you look at the Frida Baby ad that simply shows a postpartum mother peeing in the middle of the night. They don't even show it's nothing graphic, and it was banned from the Oscars. They couldn't even get that scene, and I think that was 2019. So. There's a lot of women working on behalf of other mothers, but our society is not ready. And it breaks my heart to hear about we are allegedly so pro-life, but not once the baby's born. No, <laughs> not right. at all. There's right. no, you know, not, not for support the living. For, no, there's <laughs> right. not support for childcare. There's not support for mom. There's right. not support for dads. And, you know, there's a study in Sweden where they looked at the postpartum experience of uh, both partners. And when dads were given paid leave, the mother's incidence of using antidepressives or um, anti-anxiety medications was decreased by 25%. That's incredible. So, you know, we there is a way to value a family. (laughs) Real family values require giving support to a new mother, to a new parent, no matter, you know, you're in a hetero, cisgender or not relationship. Parents, partners deserve support. Birthing people require support. And our society will not have family values. We won't be able to hang together until we make a massive monumental shift. And that's behind my personal crusade. Yeah, totally. And you're, I mean, you're talking about like, I mean, we could go deep into this, probably the, the economic impact Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that, you know, I just saw a stat recently, I think in the New York times showing that I think for the second year in a row, um, the, U- the U S, uh, census population increase is like nominal mm-hmm. and we know the effect, the long-term effects that that will have on our economy, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. so we, we've come from this perspective of like, oh, you know, you're lucky you'll be considered for a job or you're lucky to be at a place mm-hmm. that might accommodate you. Mm-hmm. And, and what I hear coming up is, is a challenge around all of those narratives and that way, way of doing things. Right. We're saying, no, 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 Yeah. We are the future. We're mm-hmm. the current present mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. and the future and the future of this country depends on policies that will be family supportive. Mm-hmm. And it can be 2.5 times more expensive to hire someone new when you lose talent. And if you look at companies like BuzzFeed that provide a proper leave, I think they give something between four and six months leave. They mm-hmm. saw a 97% increase mm-hmm. in retention. So it's yep. the economic impact. If you look at the numbers, 
it's better for business. It's better for families. It's better for babies to provide paid leave. And we're talking about paid leave now, but I see paid leave along this whole spectrum of support. And we talked about Chamber of Mothers. I'll just give you like a quick. So I launched Totem in 2017. We launched initially as a platform for the brand new mother. So from zero days postpartum to that to 365 days, that first very tender year, Mm -hmm. I saw that sore spot. And I had created a lactation cookie of all things with my husband's uncle that helped me get my milk supply back when I did go back to work. (laughs) Oh, he's the best. Yes. (laughs) And um, I started selling that. I started giving it to people first off, like colleagues, friends, neighbors, anybody that's having babies. And they were saying, okay, not only are these amazing, my husband's uncle had worked at Mrs. Fields. That's why he helped me with the the recipe. They're these delicious cookies, but they really, really worked. I mean, you could go from pumping an ounce out to filling both bottles on both sides. When I, you're needed, pumping. I needed that, Aaron. I needed oh, it so badly. They were so good. I know. <laughs> I, I, I wish we had been connected, but they really were amazing. And, and I think what I got excited about, I'm not a baker. I was super intimidated by CPG and all of that. But what I loved is... I had a problem. I found a solution that I could scale. That was addictive to me, right? And so when I launched Totem, our first product was a lactation cookie. We then sold it as a mix, but I would do events and community and just, I really had this philosophy of I'll go first. I'll be the first one to tell this super embarrassing story about my mom looking at my vagina and my husband telling me to get an enema. Because guess what? There's going to be somebody out there who has a embarrassing story. It's wrapped up in shame that they told themselves this whole story that they didn't do motherhood well. And I want to free them of that. I want to open up the conversation. And so we did a lot of events, community products, all for the postpartum woman. Then when the pandemic happened, as I've shared with you, we had a personal, we consider a personal trauma. Our oldest, George, who really set this whole thing in motion. We have three kids now. We have George, who's nine, Arabella, who's seven, I had two losses between the two of them, by the way. And then um, Bo, who's four. And George uh, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes the day after Mother's Day 2020. So our family really just went through so much shock, so much trauma, so much fear at a time that we were all globally fearful, traumatized, panicked. Yep. And so that happened and I really had to evaluate what I was doing with Totem because again, CPG is a business that requires a lot of capital and I was bootstrapping. And I so I had to look at, am I going to take on an investor and all of those expectations or am I going to shift this model to something that I can control and I can lean in and lean out of as mm-hmm. I need and want to. And so at the same time, I was also noticing and being a part of so many interviews around what was happening to working mothers and how 2.5 million to 3 million mothers were really elbowed out of the workforce because even if both partners were at home working, it was most times the mother who defaulted into care and just kind of cried uncle. Like I I can't do, I can't be a Zoom teacher and a laundress and a, you know, and, and oh, really Canada, like hit these the KPIs. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah. you know, mothers were really suffering and I, the LA times reached out to me to talk about, to talk about maternal mental health and what it was like to be a mother in the pandemic. And so I'm thinking, hold on a second here. This is a talk about a collective trauma for mothers. And my experience is I really have empathy around all the touch points because like you, Audra, 
I was that working professional that wasn't thinking about being a mother. I was that driven professional who knows what it's like to have investors over your shoulders looking for, I can't tell you how many times I heard hockey stick growth month over month. Uh, I know that pressure. (laughs) It's real. And then I know what it's like to be a new mother. I know what it's like to return. And by the way, I'm an attorney who understands the limits of discrimination and what accommodations need to be. And so it just seemed to me that I was missing the plot being in CPG when I could be doing more at this intersection of ambition and motherhood. And so I really pivoted what I was doing with Totem. I sold off all the remaining cookies and I started focusing on how can I support working parents? And I just found that there's such a need. I will say that I don't think companies are quite there yet in realizing the investment they need to make. I get booked for a lot of workshops, which I find I'm glad that there's some investment in workshops. But what I'm seeing is a lot of you know, employee resource groups, ERGs are staffed by working parents there and it's unpaid labor. So they're saying to you, okay, Audra, you say it's a hard time for working mothers. Why don't you do something about that? Why don't you pull together a resource group? By the way, we have no budget, but go get some speakers and don't pay them for their labor either. And so there's this theme. (laughs) Get a speaker and then we'll do nothing about it after that. But we have checked the box of bringing in a speaker. Yeah, exactly. So I'm seeing this, this, you know, confluence of on Mm -hmm. one side, more unpaid labor, mostly of women and and also men, but parents. And and I've seen this also in the DEI space. It's, you know, you're, you're, oh, totally without going there. And then I'm also seeing so unpaid labor and performance. So yes, let's do a workshop. By the way, we can barely pay you for this. We're not paying the the people here to set it up either. And we're going to have this and check the box. And a lot of moms are going to come on and say, thank you so much. I feel so seen. They're going to be in tears. I walk away from that thing. And I think, what's happening for them? Like they're, Mm. you know, there's not an ongoing investment in their mental health. Yeah, there's not. You know, what we really like to offer is ongoing community. Like we can help Mm -hmm. put the community together. I can do office hours where I can come on a Zoom or in real life to the the group of working parents and give them a psychologically safe space to talk about what's going on and then follow up with them because I've been steeped in this world for so long with whether they need a parenting coach or they need, um, you know, uh, a postpartum um, psychiatrist or therapist or they need even pelvic floor support, or they need to, they need some expertise around dividing up labor at home. Because many times it's not that there's this like awful, mean old dad at home. (laughs) There's our society is not set up to equip dads either. And so equipping families with the tools of like, okay, let's make transparent what is going on in your most important organization, which is your home, which we don't treat like an important organization at all. Let's look at that. Let's divide up the the labor more equitably. By the way, it might not need to be 50-50. It's just even equity at home. All these yeah. things that I learning can help how to communicate with. around it. Even yes. you know we don't we don't come into these relationships with any orientation around how to communicate no. about this stuff. No, we don't. You just go and into so, default mo- mode. You know, all, through you all do. of it. Yeah, you're flying blind, and then you yeah. and then you argue, and it builds up, and it's fights, and it, it's no good for anybody. And yes. so 
there's all this, there's so many tools with which I'm familiar, so many experts, so, so much that I can offer to working parents when companies say, we want to really do something about this and, and we want to have real metrics around, you know, retention. And by the way, it's not just retention. It is how engaged and inspired are these working parents? I can't right. tell you how many people are staying right. in their jobs, even though 64% of parents plan to leave their job in 2022. Many who are staying are saying, I'm in need of, here are the themes I hear. I'm in need of deep rest. I'm completely uninspired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't feel loyal to this company anymore. I'm furious with them. And I don't, my creativity is gone because they're depleted. depleted and they have felt yeah. a, an utter lack of trust. Yeah. It's, you know, we need to, even the return to work thing, some people feel the return to work is is a return to micromanagement. It's a return to, we can't trust you to do your job. We're going to make the assumption that if we don't see you, you're not getting it done. And so I'm really interested in, in, in companies that want to make an actual change and aren't just performing and are really putting skin in the game because if they're not investing in this, there's, they're not going to see a change. So that has been sort of the corporate work, but then Chamber of Mothers is um, an advocacy organization that I put together with a bunch of other motherhood community leaders in the, the late fall of 2021. And Chamber of Mothers is is focused on paid family leave. So we came together around paid family leave. So yeah. that night that, so just for anybody listening that doesn't have a little background on what happened with paid family leave this year, um, the U.S. is the only quote unquote industrialized nation without paid family leave. We are one of only six countries in the entire world without federal paid leave for families. What a club we're in. (laughs) Oh my goodness, what a club. Right. And several administrations have tried to pass some sort of federal paid leave. Most recently, President Biden had the family rescue plan, which then got parallel pathed with the infrastructure bill, Build Back Better. Mm -hmm. So advocates of the family rescue plan, which included paid leave, a very, very inclusive paid leave that's caregiving for the elderly, caregiving for yourself if you're sick, caregiving if you're um, a victim of domestic violence, being able Mm -hmm. to get paid leave for that. It was a beautiful, thoughtful bill. Um, That got parallel path with Build Back Better, the infrastructure bill. The notion being, I mean, they were really grasping at straws, but it was, you know, family is infrastructure. Okay. But the average person that's not obsessed with this the way we are, are like bridges. Okay. Infrastructure. Okay. Sure. So there's really this disconnect between public policy and private lives. And I had decided in 2021 to understand more about what was going on. I started working with an organization called Paid Leave U.S., is I had a former colleague who was there that hooked me into it and just becoming aware of what was going on. So then fast forward to November, we're getting really excited because paid leave might finally pass mm-hmm. federal paid leave. And so a lot of us who have these motherhood platforms are friends. We're in this infrastructure that is mostly collaborative, although it can be competitive too, which is a big old waste of time. And so we're watching what's happening it might be 12 weeks. As we've discussed, we need way more than 12 weeks, but that's what most states, we have nine states that provide some kind of federal paid leave. They offer 12 weeks, most of them. So at least it's a start, right? So that's where we are. One night, and we know that it was four people in a room decided to, in order to try to pass this bill, 
let's just cut paid leave from 12 weeks to four weeks. So moms who were aware of everything and they they knew sort of the public imp- imp- or sorry, the private implications of these public measures were furious. And, Absolutely. you know, there's a friend of mine, Alexis Broad Cutler, who runs a really edgy, amazing platform called Not Safe for Mom Group. And it's a place for moms to just show up any way they want. They can say what they want, scream it out. She was the original like primal scream person. Um, and she started lifting up these stories of what was it like for you at four weeks? And I said, you know, we were DMing, texting on phone calls like this is ridiculous. We were enraged. and. One of my, another mom who runs a platform called The Mom Attorney, she, uh, her name's Daphne Delvo. She said, you know, we're not going to get anything done until we come together like the Chamber of Commerce. Like that's the biggest lobbying body in the country. And they actually make things happen. And so we decided, what if we were to rebrand the mother and pull her spending power, which is over 2.4 trillion, yes, her yes. voting power. And really, instead of, you know, companies, and I'm not going to like name names now, but there are a lot of companies that in advertisements would have you believe that a mother is just this like sweet little lady that's all dowdy and she's totally lost herself. She's buried under laundry and like we're for moms. Moms are very powerful many times like highly educated, very motivated, powerful women who can make a lot of things happen. But what's happening right now is there are a lot of these platforms, including myself, we're throwing pebbles at these massive problems because we're not coming together. And right. we can't do this in ego. It can't just be about who's the next person that puts out the book and gets to stand on the thing. We need to come together and really pool our resources, our talent, our money, and our voting power. And so that was when we came up with this idea, let's be the chamber of mothers. And I said, let's have, let's go to social media and do a roadblock campaign with the hashtag build back bleeding. Because at four weeks, we're still bleeding. Most mm-hmm. of I mean, you're lucky if you're not bleeding postpartum at four weeks. So we did this, we, um, uh, it was Alexis who got this amazing image uh, that we own and we did a social media roadblock and it was, we won't build back bleeding. And after that, you know, coming down the pike, we also did another campaign that was moms brought you into this world and we could vote you out. And so the way this was working was we had a Slack channel where the lobby groups were telling us exactly in real time what was happening in Washington, but many of them censor themselves. And we decided to be the uncensored edgy voice of the every mother. And what we were hearing from the advocacy groups was that we had gotten to the mainstream and consumer mom in a way that they had not done in like over five years of advocacy work. They didn't know how. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're afraid, you know, because Mm -hmm. they're having to, and and I'm not dogging, they're doing amazing work, but they're seeing on the ground just how tricky and all the red tape. And we actually... And we want to follow their lead in the sense that we know when it needs to be delicate, but we have the advantage of not being a lobby group so that we can say, this is how we're You can say what you want. You can say what needs to be said. Absolutely. And these issues are on both sides of the lines. I mean, we have women all across the spectrum. So we, uh, in 48 hours, we got 8,000 followers on Instagram and we had, our other notion was to really enlist mothers as advocates. Mothers are fired up, but it's like, but what do I do? You know, I have all these other things going on. Mm -hmm. This is another thing for me to do. And so we just gave them an opportunity to 
give us their name, contact information, a little bit about their background and how they want to step into advocacy, how they want to help. It can be big or small. I, I mean, I can't read this list without crying. I mean, the... Mm. It's everybody from, you know, full-time moms, teachers, doctors, lawyers, best-selling authors, journalists, just really talking about the pain of their experience and what they want to do going forward. And so those of us who put this together just on one night that we were all ticked off, really looked at the outcome. And by the way, we also got all the celebrity interest. Meghan Markle's team sent her new kids book to everybody on the founding mothers. Uh, that's, that's the founding mother of the Chamber of Mothers. And so um, we decided to move forward with it. And I'm excited to say that just last week, we became a fiscal sponsor project of the PPF, which means that we can now take on charitable donations. That's amazing. Um, yeah. I'm Congratulations. Really Thank you so much. That's, and that's huge. Thank you. We're we're really excited. We've been really trying to step through like how do we pull this together and yeah. move as quickly as we can and got really great advice on that. And um, we have an event coming up May 4th for maternal mental health and we've gotten a, a lot of amazing brand sponsors. So it's really been, you know, I will be honest, a lot of my work with Totem felt Sisyphean. I mean, I was just really just pushing the boulder up and I felt yeah. like I really wasn't making traction. I feel... Uh, one of the difficulties is that sadly I'm finding that modern mothers really don't invest in inner care. You know, mm. we will invest <laughs> in something that's more surface level, like a pair of jeans that make our butts look great or a workout or uh, anything you know, for the kids, health food, anything <laughs> right, for the kids. Right, right. But when it comes to real inner care, yeah. I wasn't seeing the investment. And right. so a lot of difficulty with that. On the other hand, Chamber of Mothers has just been catching. And I think a lot of it has, for me personally, it has to do with, I feel really values aligned in advocacy. I feel like this yes. is everything that I've learned how to do. The sense of social justice and speaking up for people who, for whatever reason, aren't ready to speak um, and providing a place for people to to speak who are ready just giving them uh, yeah. giving them a, a way to express what they're feeling and going through it's all really caught on and i also have loved working with the other women you know as you all know like solo entrepreneurship can be really lonely and isolating it's been so much fun to work with these women who are just creative and excited and brilliant and masterful. So I think we are creating something that will sustain and make change and make it's not just change. paid leave. Yeah. We're, so we're advocating for paid leave, improved maternal mental health and improved access to affordable childcare. Those are our big initiatives in the next 18 months. It's beautiful. And what I'm hearing here is that spectrum that you were talking about with all of the projects that you're working on, because you have you're really diving deep into this broad advocacy work to um, make major change for all of us. At the same mm -hmm. time, you're able to strategically work on changing this corporate structure strategically as they're ready, starting to mm -hmm. make that change internally from within. And that's a lot. And this is mm -hmm. all well being a mama for yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yes. pretty incredible. Well, you have, I know you, I knew you're the same way. <laughs> Yeah, we do it, right? We and yep. and I'm personally so grateful for it. I I really appreciate tying in this conversation about the various, I don't know, the undulation of of traumas and challenges mm -hmm. from the very very first um 
I think birth trauma is something that, that we've talked about here on our podcast and with Guest Collective a lot. Um, and you and I, as mothers, know really well um, how this continues for us as we make our way into raising children. We find we have kids with co- very complex medical needs. Mm-hmm. And so I'm personally grateful for your work. When Max was diagnosed, I was really, really fortunate to be given a year of wow. time with him to be home. But it was from my colleagues because mm. uh, HR called, I think, four days into it. We were in the hospital and they said, you don't have time. You have to come, come back. We're in the Stop ICU. It. We're in the ICU. Stop. And they said, you have to come back to work. And our health insurance was through me. It, it wow. was uh, a really, really, really difficult time. And I had used all of my sick and vacation time to be home with the kids over the summer and give myself like a Friday a week to be with them. Yeah. That's, you know, how I had to like buy my time to, to be yeah. with my young kids. And so they're like, you're out of time. You could do um, unpaid um, leave and we'll hold your FMLA. job for you. Right. Oh. Right. Um, that's available to you. But otherwise, you need to come back to work because you don't get to keep. Well, you could do Cobra, but you have to pay for your Cobra if you go, you know, right. And I'm just like, I'm wow. in the ICU. My son wow. had a, has a life-threatening, you know, brain tumor and, you know, he's intubated and, and you're telling me I have to come back to work. It was just wow. like, what, what's happening here? What kind of society do we live in? I'm so, sorry to use this word, but that feels abusive to me. It, I mean, right. So my colleagues got together and they put together, um, and it, this is in higher education, which you know is like uh, unheard of. They put together a catastrophic leave um policy within two days or something wow. like that and they gathered enough p- sick and vacation time from my colleagues from the groundskeepers to the college president to give Are me a serious? year paid year at home wow. with max which was wow. such that love an incredible privilege but in my journey then working with thousands of childhood cancer parents what i've learned is like one of my very best friends her daughter's diagnosed with it was diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor she had six months with her daughter you imagine being in the hospital and being told you have six months with your child go home and make memories with your seven-year-old daughter right and so what happened in this case is that the she was a teacher and she had to go to work she held the health insurance she had to go to work and and wow. her principal let her mom sub who was a teacher retired teacher like wow. let you know all that's under the table things happen but most of the moms that i know were thrown into almost irreparable debt poverty job loss wow. um from this so when i hear of the the catastrophic aspects of all of this start when we have kids and continue through the parenting journey through the entire parenting journey so we desperately need this change and the change that you're implementing strategically in workplaces you know from within but then policy-wise, from without, like we need Mm -hmm. both of these things. I couldn't agree more. And the other thing I'm hearing too, in your experience, that's a through line is just this self-advocacy, you know, and look at, I mean, you were in no position to be like, how am I going to fight for my rights? But your colleagues came together and they said, hold on a second, no way. And they stepped into, they became advocates. They became activists. I mean, that's truly um, what this is requiring right now. And it's unfortunate, but we can't stay in this place of sort of collective victimhood, right? We can't say, oh, what was us? This is really sucking for mom. And I was worrying about that a lot with all of the ink that was coming out around how horrible things were for mothers in the pandemic. 
I was so worried that it was going to turn into something akin to, unfortunately, what happened with Time's Up and Me Too, where it becomes sort of like, we're over it. Like, everybody's tired of hearing about it. Don't bring it up anymore. But and I think the way we don't go there is we think about self-activation. What can we do about it and how we can... And this is like with Chamber of Mothers where we're saying every single mother can be an advocate. And that doesn't need, it doesn't mean you have to quit your day job. It's it's little things. You know, I, I um, recently just did a little video for our totem audience saying, it just occurred to me, I never was given paid leave. Like that was the fact. I had to have a discussion every single time with the, you know, whoever it was I was working for. Yeah. And it wasn't... It can sometimes, and this is where I think empathy is so important, it can be something that is just not on that person's radar. You know, when I was at a tech company and there were other parents, their head of HR, who had been one of the initial co-founders, she wasn't conversant with all of this. And so it took me saying, "Yeah, she didn't know. It took me saying, this is what I need. But then the second and you know third time around, I knew better what I need and, and how to express that. And I'm not saying that that means we should always internalize the work, but I think we can activate and we can realize that you know there there's a certain kind of double suffering when you feel that you can't do anything about the situation that you're in, and that we can also have each other's backs. You know, might. Our babysitter reached out to me. She's 20 years old and she was watching Chamber of Mothers launch. This is one thing I love about the sort of younger generation. They're so curious and they are such inherent activists and they're they're watching what's going on with sort of older generations. And I I I don't know. There's a lot of hope that I feel in that. And she reached out and she said, it occurs to me that all of the women who've launched Chamber of Mothers are done having children. You're just doing this for us. Mm. And I hadn't, I hadn't realized that. Um, it was just that we feel this is so wrong and we want to do something about it. And we've come to sort of like your colleagues. I mean, their right. skin in the game was this. It was just so wrong. And they, they needed to do something about it. And so that's that real... I, I've heard people say, like, don't be an, ad, uh, an ally, be an accomplice. I mm-hmm. think this is how we be accomplices for one another. Um, and, you know, I'll send that for the show notes because I don't have the author in front of me. I think it was Lovey who said that. But, you know, I think this is how we really step into the game and uh, put some skin in it and, and change what's not working. It's beautiful. Mm. Beautiful. I'm so with you. Justin has a. Has- I, no, I mean, I've loved just being a fly on the wall for this <laughs> conversation. I, I, no, I really have. We never know how these conversations are going to turn out. Like sometimes no. I'm the fly on the wall. I'm you know, just like going uh-huh. through my list of questions. Yeah. Like, well, they t- we they talked about that. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, this that, is all okay. Done. Um, Any place we didn't go that you feel well, like Well, so to- one of the things that was really impressed upon me is, Aaron, it seems like what has really resonated for you and so what's really clicking for you as I think about wellness, right? And mm-hmm. mental health, mental wellness, but overall wellness. We can think of something like Maslow's hierarchy and everybody knows mm-hmm. this. Um, and on the bottom are these like really fundamental needs, And what I'm getting is that we as a society have failed in providing Mm -hmm. for these really fundamental needs. And so Mm -hmm. what you're seeing, what you said earlier about moms just aren't investing in their 
inner wellness. Like mm-hmm. I just, this is really mm-hmm. tough. And that really resonates for us. I mean, that that's one of the big motivations for us going into the Yes Collective. But it's like, the, as a society, we have not provided, we have not supported moms at this really fundamental level. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that, that going up this hierarchy into these higher levels of wellness that moms aren't investing because they're not being they supported at, at, right? at, at a really fundamental level. We can't get out of like fight or flight. Yeah. That's such so, a real and compassionate way of looking at it. That's so true. So I, I'm I'm curious for you because uh, uh, we we are bumping up against time here. I'm curious for you. What are you really working on or interested in, motivated by in your own inner wellness journey? Mm-hmm. Like where 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 are you at for in your own personal growth in your own inner wellness? What is really alive for you? What is really exciting for you right now? What is really alive and exciting for me is also my biggest challenge. And it's it's around practicing what I preach, which is not feeling guilt and shame when I do something that's just for me. Mm. You know, really, when I give myself permission to be unavailable or step away from childcare for something because I want to do it and it might not be paid. You know, I it was... Before I started Totem, work and children were a little bit more binary because I we had a full-time nanny and I had a full-time job. And I had different iterations of that. Sometimes it would be part-time, but we had childcare and then I was working and I made a really nice salary and it wasn't not painful. It was just more binary. Now that I run my own platforms and even my legal work, you know, I'm set up like a partner there. So it's, you know, I'm going to make as much as I put in kind of thing. It's I find that I am coming up against a lot of what I preach, which is, listen, we are mothers. We are also still just women and creative beings and lovers and people who like to play and people who like to dance and people who like to read and you know, I get sad when my kids are asked, like, what does your mom like to do? And they're like, read her Kindle and work. You know, and I'm like, yeah, I used to laugh, like, <laughs> like dance to hip hop and rap. And yeah, like, I had so yeah. many different friends. I used to travel and like this, this sort of essence, mm. this, this glow that we have all inside, I think has been so dampened, especially by what we've gone through in the pandemic. But I think coming out of that, I am really excited and scared and challenged by this idea that who I was for the first 34 years of my life before I became a mother is still important today. And I know that I believe that for other women. And I want to offer myself the same compassion to really step into that. Mm, That's beautiful. Do you have any strategies uh th- that you use to give yourself that compassion to give yourself that space is there anything that has that has worked for you yeah i have learned that particularly in terms of how i communicate it's really basic but instead of waiting until i'm furious and then throwing mm. out this like randomly assigned task at my husband like will you just do the blah 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 cuz i need to <laughs> da, da, da. i have to really come from a place of it's, you know, vulnerability. I, I have to say, I have really been having a hard time. I have been drained by how much 
housework and caregiving and everything that's been going on with type 1 diabetes, I'm completely drained. I don't recognize myself anymore. And I'm. we need to talk about how I can do something about that. And it doesn't mean it all has to be on you. I'm not saying like, you know, my husband just, he's a veterinarian. I mentioned before, he just started his own business. And so he truly has to lean into that. He has to be available, but there are strategies. It doesn't mean that he has to now be the one that steps away from everything at 2.30 to be with the kids. We need help. Like we really, we have struggled to find somebody that is a consistent person in our lives that can be either a mother's helper or parents helper, nanny. It's a different culture here than it was in LA for better or for worse. Um, and there's not the, you know, there we've had trouble finding childcare. And so what that requires in a very practical way is us finding somebody that can come into our home regularly who we love and who loves us and our kids who can just provide us with some ease and some space. We really need that right now. Mm. That sounds big to me. That's the fundamental um, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. To just be able to just so clearly speak that and share that, you know, Mm -hmm. especially as a mom and a, a, an entrepreneur, like we get so used to doing it all ourselves at our own expense. And there is something of letting in like that. I need help. That feels Mm -hmm. like uh, really brave to me, you know, like I think that that is something that we're um, all of the things that that um, all of the strengths that we have that have gotten us to where we are today are not always working in our favor Mm -hmm. in moving forward as mothers, you know, like it's not always the same thing. Right. And so I think Justin really nailed it when he talked about when you don't have that lowest level of your need met, I think what happens is. Because as a society, we are told as mothers, if we're not doing it, you can do it all. You can have it all. If we're not doing it all, we think we're failing. Mm -hmm. When in fact, we were never meant to do it alone. We were never meant to do it without support. We can't even physically, mentally, emotionally. We can't relationally. We can't. And so we've bought into this narrative. And so you heap on top of depletion, shame and guilt. And I'm not good enough. And I should, should, should. It's, and you do that for a number of years. It's really hard to all of a sudden rip the bandaid and say, you know what? I need help. I can't do this. Cause you mm. feel like, wait a sec. I, I've been trying to prove to everybody that I'm good enough and I can do it. And, and right. so there's a self reckoning there. Um, that is, it's really hard. Hard to, to learn all of that. And I'm hearing like real, really powerful cycle breaking with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that ties into the workplace as well. So I'm hearing this is at home, but then at work, the cycle breaking is in the same speaking up and, it is. and, it and is. finding the allies, the accomplices, the ways to get together as parents and to say, we can't do it this way. Mm-hmm. Like this cannot persist. 100%. And parents for other parents. Parents who are mm-hmm. done parenting, you know, I, I, this is a little bit of an aside, but I was in a culture at, at an organization that I worked at where a lot of the older women were like, well, I did it. Oh yes. That's a big problem. It's a big so problem. Let's break those cycles. Like that yeah. is like, it is. And I think vulnerability that like that you mm-hmm. spoke to is the, is the first key to that. I know when I went back to work after Max was diagnosed, totally different for me than after going back, I went back, started the nonprofit, still worked full time. Um, and did the nonprofit. So we know what that's like. 
But mm-hmm. I went back with a totally different point of view at that point. Mm-hmm. And it was like my life had so radically changed that I wasn't mm-hmm. going to do it the way I'd done it before. And I was mm-hmm. not buying into the into any of it. So I went back with, I get like, I think I was introduced to Brene, Brene Brown in like 2010 or something. But I went back with yeah. her on my shoulder. Right. Love it. And mm-hmm. disembattled. I was like, I'm not fighting any of these battles. I am here openly, authentically, vulnerably who I am with what I can bring. And if you don't want it, of course, I had the privilege, I think, to say this, but if you don't want it, then I won't be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, but it was a totally, totally different perspective um, that was really emboldened, I think, by in many ways, all of those women who showed up for me. So I, I love that being here with you and, and having this beautiful reminder that we can do this together, you know, and 100%. That it's vulnerability and it to together. Yeah, it is. And, and yep. I just want to say, too, I think there is an analogy between what you went through and with what working parents went through in the pandemic, because I am just seeing this trend of people will not go back to the before time. They will yes. not go back to a structure or an organization that says, I don't want to see your humanity. Like keep your kid. Yes. You, you're, I don't want to see your humanity. We are sort of demanding to show up in our full humanity now in the workplace. Oh, I love this. And yeah. I see that a lot of leaders aren't ready for that. And at the same time, a lot of leaders are still struggling themselves. And so this is where, you know, even with totem work, like we offer support to people in the C-suite to say, hey, you're building the bridge that everybody has to walk across. Well, you went through this too. Nobody was in a bubble from what we just, ex- we all experienced. And right. within the collective trauma, there were individual traumas that went on in almost every household. And so we are all showing up differently. And I think as we do this, to your point, this idea of, learning about what vulnerable communication is and having empathy for that person, you know, and not vilifying the person sort of across the table mm-hmm. and realizing that that they're coming from a sore place too. We all are right now and we all need to show up in our full humanity. Mm. Our our full humanity into the future. I love this. Yeah. I am am leaving this with some hope. Aaron, thank you. Oh, I really, good, I Audra. really appreciate yes. that. Yes, and and so we have three final questions that we ask every guest. Okay. And so the first one is, Aaron, if you could put a post-it note on every mom's refrigerator tomorrow morning, what would that post-it note say? In this together. Mm, love that. Yeah, we're in this together. Mm. And then the second question is, is there a quote that has really moved you or changed the way that you think or feel lately? Yes, it's from Eve Rodsky, who's an author, the author of Fair Play, and she's become a friend. And she, I won't say it perfectly, but she says that time is not money, time is diamonds, and everyone deserves permission to be unavailable. Mm. Mm. Mm, Everyone time. deserves permission to be unavailable. Yeah, I time absolutely, is absolutely love that and, and feel it and feel the mm-hmm. need for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the final question is, well, it is inspired because, uh, you know, in the parenting grind, we can uh, be exhausted and overwhelmed and, oh, kids, it's just <laughs> demanding. But we like to just take a step back and say, oh, wow, or just remind ourselves what is so amazing about kids. And so, Aaron, what do you love about kids? I love looking into their eyes 
and seeing the wonder and forgetting myself. And that's, mm. that's the funny thing is we talk so much about having this space to lean into ourselves. And for me, it's only when I don't feel depleted that I'm able to be present yeah. and connected. Yes. And that oh, yeah. is my favorite thing about parenting is when I'm truly present with my kids and I'm looking in their eyes and I'm seeing what they need and what they're experiencing and deeply listening to them. That is the true magic of motherhood. And um, that's just my very favorite thing, just really slowing down, stopping and looking into their eyes, no matter what they're doing. Mm, it's beautiful and the way that you bring up that we need all of that support in Mm -hmm. order to do that Mm -hmm. because when we're depleted Mm -hmm. we are not present oh and we get triggered reactionary triggered all of the things we're we're just we make it all about ourselves that's that's the big kind of the the funny thing here is we are most selfish when we are self-depleted we are able to give of ourselves and be present to others when we're full Truly. That's right. That's right. Beautiful. Oh, Aaron, I can't wait to have you back on. I know it's going to be soon because there's a lot of cool stuff in the works for you. And we can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. And when this podcast comes out, one thing that's really cool about it is that it's going to be the center uh, theme for a month's work on uh, in Yes Collective. And so this is going to be an entire month where we are uh, focused on on working motherhood and we are holding moms in this just like beautiful, empathetic space, very, very compassionate and like hearing from them as well. So we will be, this will be the center point. We'll have a lot of conversations coming off of this particular conversation. And so we would love to be able to bring you in on that uh, more as we, uh, blossom out from this month's theme. It would be my pleasure. And thank you for what you're doing and the way you hold this space. It does feel so safe and I, you know, and so loving. And Justin, having the presence of an involved dad and just mm. having you open to hearing all of this, it really means the world. I think a lot of women are afraid to speak to this because we don't want it to come off as male bashing and and we deeply love our partners and we need support. We we need to feel heard and held. And so I appreciate that you're doing that. Thank you. Oh, wow. It's my pleasure. And I, you know, one of the things that came through, um, you were saying like society isn't ready for this. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you know, it wasn't too long ago that none of this stuff was even mentioned. It's like, it wasn't mm-hmm. even talked yes. about. Yes. And so I feel, yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel absolutely like I need to hear more about this because I'm thinking back to these these times. It was 2007 when we had Max and I was just two years into my PhD program and I was, I was just clueless. I was like, I don't know. We'll just go. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we'll just keep on going. You yeah. Have you, know. have you seen the uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal film uh, Lost Daughter? Yes. Yes. <sighs> I know. And everything, Alana mm. Ferrante, that author just kills me. Mm. I mean, there's been a lot of literature and content that have come out about the truest, rawest, most gnarly mm. motherhood experiences. And I, again, I don't know if the people are ready, but they need to be. Because they need to I, be. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And well, there's, there's a, there's a deeper psychological, emotional truth here that what, 
we resist persists mm-hmm. like if we, like no matter what the feeling is no matter what's happened like we need to bring it out into the light we yep. need to talk yep. about it we need to process this absolutely yeah yeah 100%. i think that's such a beautiful reflection justin i really appreciate that because i'm looking back at 2007 thinking i know you were just trying to get through it too you know mm-hmm. i know that mm-hmm. like it, it we were both in such shock um <laughs> around the birth of our son beautiful birth beautiful, of our son yeah. but such shock like, and what the hell just um, happened? our mm-hmm. wonderful friend um and therapist who's been on this um podcast talks about the onion peeling back the onion all the layers around the traumas uh, so just of becoming parents and yeah. it is it is it does strike me that we didn't have a, a platform or a way to be able to unpack all of this together then Mm -hmm. we had no, we were just on, you know, just, just trying to get through on our paths day Mm -hmm. to day and move forward. But we didn't, Mm -hmm. we didn't have the tools, the skills, the, the, the way, the platform or anything to really unpack all of this. Like may this all be just a part of this massive movement. Like you said, Aaron, the opening up, COVID has done so much opening up for so many of us, as, many of uh, us who are uh, appreciative of the of the mystical kind of ways of looking at this too. Mm-hmm, like really mm-hmm, believe mm-hmm, that there is such mm-hmm. power in this opening up and mm-hmm. and much of it is having conversations that we simply wouldn't have before. And absolutely. It's and time. people that are about to yeah. go through this that are hearing yeah. you yeah. say what you just said and thinking yeah. as a couple like, wow. Listen to what they just said. Mm-hmm. Look what's ahead of us. Let's try and get some support or let's even have a conversation around yeah. like, what kind of help do we want even so that we can be connected as a couple? You know, oh I don't gosh. think we think about that at all. No, I we feel like a theme. For, we don't talk about any of this stuff. Yeah. For all no. three of us yeah. is like, what did we need back then? Let yeah. Can we yeah, create something that yeah. we needed back, yes. back then? Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 Healing yourself to heal heal others, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And thank you for your activism. I am so so grateful for your crusade, and I so identify with it. I think we're all cut from the same cloth in many ways. Like mm-hmm. people who, you know, things have happened to us, but we will not allow that to remain as such as just something that has happened to us as like a vessel of of experience in a sense. Like yeah. we are bringing everything that we've learned out into the world to share with others, because if we can make someone else's life a bit better from what we've learned and experienced, then that's, that's what we're here for. That's the gold. Absolutely. Well, I'm so grateful for both of you. What a privilege to spend this time with you. Thank you for having me. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you. We'll talk soon, Aaron. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Have a great day. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at Yes Collective Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, share it with other parents in your life, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes Collective is a mental health movement for all parents, so let's spread the love.